I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. Wendy Ahrens is the author of I'm Wearing Tunics Now, a growing older, better, and a hell of a lot louder story. She calls it her coming of middle age story. And it's a hilarious account that will be so resonant and relatable to anyone who is Gen X because it's about what it feels like to finally recognize who you are in your middle age, but then also not be able to recognize yourself in a mirror. I hope you enjoy. I'm wearing tunics now by Wendy Ahrens on Growing Older, Better, and a Hell of a Lot Louder is the title of a like truly hilarious book. It's so funny. I like tabbed all these pages in it because there are so many things I wanted to talk to you about when I was reading it, underlining and laughing out loud while reading it. I'm so excited that you're here. I feel like this book speaks so specifically and directly to me, to my friends, to the women in our network. So welcome, Wendy Ahrens, and thank you for writing a book that is is so relatable. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for the nice words. That means a lot. There's so many funny parts of this book, and I am like the biggest Nora Ephron fan, and I'm going to guess that you are too, just from the tenor of your book and the title and the subject matter. Uh, you Agree? Agree. I don't know any writer of our generation that isn't a humor writer, that isn't a fan of Nora Ephron. So congratulations. So, cause you've done a really good job. And I think what's really great is that it's like so specific to Gen X. I mean, there's certain things about middle age that are unique to the, the life experience, but when you bring in the references that are generationally appropriate. It makes it so much even more funny because like, I understand a hundred percent what you're talking about when you're talking about, there was one line you had that like all these young girls are like strutting all over town in their floppy hats and they're barely used reproductive systems. (laughs) I I really enjoyed that. (laughs) My partner, Gina talks a lot about the women that she sees where she's just like, I just want to suck the collagen. (laughs) Right out of their faces. Like, how do, how do they have such collagen? That could be Did a I, really good horror movie. So write that down. It's like a Sweeney Todd thing. Yeah. It's exactly. like a vengeance on the young women, except for we just take all their, like, suppleness and put it back into our face. Just give me a couple eggs. Just two eggs. That's all I want. That's so funny. I, I that could be, you know, that yeah, could be the yeah. that could be the next Let's talk book after can, this. Okay. You never know. Never so know. the second shift, if you don't know, we are a network of in a community of women who are in their mid and senior level career. And we provide jobs and we provide really a lot of like empowerment through work, community, events, podcast, and career development. And this is built for women who sounds a lot like your personal story, who had careers, took time out for their children, wanted to get back into work or are looking to transition into a different type of career. Mm-hmm. And it's that journey that's so particular to women, you know, generalizing, but is particular yeah. to women and what we're here to speak to and solve that is really resonant. 
Tell me your whole life story. No, my whole life story. Let's not do that. Let's go with the quick and the funny version. Well, the the quick and the funny is I moved to LA after college. I had a film degree and I had big dreams of working in the movies, but I had no connections. I had no way of knowing how to do that. But despite myself, I started on the assistant ladder and eventually worked for one of the big leagues at Warner Brothers. And you know, I loved it, but I also was like looking at the women executives older than I was. And I just didn't, they seemed so stressed and, you know, they had to really work to get those jobs because there weren't a lot of jobs for women in that profession at the time. And I saw that and just, I'm like, is this what I want? Do I want to be going out for lunch and vacations with these work people I don't like all the time and blah, blah. Anyway, so that led to my husband and I moving to Austin, Texas in the late 90s when it was still weird and you could buy a house for like $5 and now you can't buy a house for under a million. But um, we got here and I had switched careers. I'm like, I, I always like to do funny, quick things and write and I never explored that much. And I'm like, you know, I should go into advertising. I think that's a good match for my skills. And I joke in the book that I wanted to monetize my ability to make up jingles about tacos, but I really did. I mean, I, I, it was just like the perfect fit for me. So I started working for an ad agency in Austin and writing radio and uh, TV ads and just loved it. It was a really good match for my skill set. But then I was laid off when I was five months pregnant with my first son, and I became a reluctant stay-at-home mom. So I think it's different when you you choose to be a stay-at-home mom, which is you know an admirable choice, and women get themselves prepared for it. But for me, I was like a lot of Gen X, where we started working in high school at a job. It was like a big deal when I was in high school to have a job. You know, I always think of the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High when every single character had a job and they all hung out uh, at the mall, you know, in the food court because they all worked worked somewhere. So I had had a job since the time I was like 14. So all of a sudden to be home with kids and not working was really, um, I don't know, it just kind of crushed my self-esteem a little bit because I didn't have an identity besides that of mom, which is fine. I'm not, you know, I, I, I was privileged and lucky that we were able that I could stay home and be a stay home mom, but it, it just really kind of gave me an identity crisis, I guess. And, you know, I wasn't the type of woman that was having a great time at Gymboree or going to all of the classes and then segued into trying to fit in with the other moms at school, which is never easy. And, you know, it's, it's lucky when you find other women that you get along with and you just uh, love and they're becoming your your close friends, which is great. It didn't happen to me in the neighborhood. So I started writing humor just kind of as an outlet to help me make sense of the world. So I would write satire. The thing that put me on the map somewhat and the maps like tiny map, but I wrote a uh, piece about always maxi pads and their slogan, have a happy period. And just kind of got out my frustrations. Like, you know, how could you be so patronizing to women? And there's no such thing as a happy period, blah, blah. Anyway, that went viral. And that kind of led to me starting a blog and writing more humor. And then the people that I had been waiting to meet, the friends I've been waiting to meet kind of found me and I found them through my blog and through writing and putting myself out there more. And that's the long-winded way of saying, you know, how I got to where I am now. But I didn't, I really didn't start writing until I was in my late thirties. 
Well, that's remarkable, but also very inspiring for people who think that, oh, I've made it this far and, or I've taken time or I'm not doing what I'm doing and I'm never going to be able to figure it out. If you put yourself out there, you can. Now, I want to go into this book because I think it's so great. And so the title is, I'm wearing tunics now, um, but every chapter has another funny title, which could be like, what was this one? (laughs) I'm wearing bad decisions from the juniors department was a funny one. But I want to talk about, I'm wearing a slower pace now. I I like that one too. But the idea of you at some point trying to go into the workforce and go back into the workforce. And I guess this is simultaneous to you writing, um, but mm-hmm. going trying to get into the corporate workforce and how difficult that was and demoralizing. And that's, I think, particularly resonant for the women in our network because ageism is real. You can pretend like it's not, but like starting over is hard. So here we go. Chapter eight, I'm wearing business casual now. And you went job hunting at the age of 50 and it was pretty eye-opening from the experience. I mean, you you live in Austin, so you also Mm -hmm. live in like tech world central, Uh um, which is incredibly young and even harder than I think a lot of like traditional corporate worlds to experience as an older person. So what was this experience like for you? Was it for content or was this like... No, it was for insurance, it was for health insurance. (laughs) But yeah, it was really, uh, you know, I'd freelanced a little bit over the years and I had my humor writing, but that doesn't pay the bills, doesn't come with insurance. And so I started looking around and I probably should have known that it was going to be tough when I had to take dust off of my blazers in my closet because I hadn't worn them for so long. But it was, yeah, it, it was so different to apply through these job sites and, you know, indeed all of those things. And it was really hard to do my resume because I couldn't remember the dates or all the stuff that I'd done. <laughs> so start writing it down because I'd done, a, a, you know, freelance work for a lot of clients, but I couldn't remember who they were. So I wish I'd kept better records of it. But, you know, I got my resume out there, had some writing samples. And yeah, it was just so strange to be interviewed by people that probably could have been my children. I mean, they're in their twenties and thirties and it it made me feel very insecure because I knew that I knew my stuff, but also I knew that I probably had lost some of my footing. I'd lost a lot of footing, I guess. So it was very disconcerting and everybody was very nice, but I had that uh, probably a little chip on my shoulder that they we're looking at me like I'm just old and obsolete. The way that I make sense of the world is when something like that happens, where I'm just kind of upset or angry or confused, instead of writing like an op-ed about ageism in the workforce, like some people can do and are great at, I'm sure you are, you could sit down and write an amazing op-ed about it. I can't do that. So what I did instead was write a humor piece that was in the New Yorker called, we can't ask your age in this job interview, but please take this quiz about rotary phones. Just to kind of- It's in the book and it's it's so funny. I have it tagged because I heard how many spaces are after a period. (laughs) That was a great one. (laughs) What kind of phone did you have as a teenager? (laughs) 
And that's it. That's, it kind of felt like the, all of these interviews, that was sort of the subtext was just like, oh, you're, you're, you could be our mom. We can't see ourselves like uh, either being your boss or your peer. And it was weird for all of us involved in the interview. So what eventually happened is all of the social media practices I'd learned just because I was around when Twitter was invented and using it for my blog and blah, 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 led to me getting hired by a, a women's conference to do their social media. And, you know, I've progressed into working for a nonprofit to do the social media. But both of those positions came through personal connections and people who knew and had seen my work. So it was, seems like that's more of the way women of our age get jobs rather than just putting a resume out there um, and letting it go out into the ether. It's more just your personal connections or networking or, you know, always goes back to networking. Yeah. That's basically what we're set up to do. It's like Mm -hmm. just expanding your person's network and vouching for and vetting Mm -hmm. the women and, and recognizing that like, if anyone's coming to us, they're coming to us for a particular reason because they see the value in the women that we're working with, because you know mm-hmm. what, you know, you know what you're getting from the beginning. There's a line that you say, you know, from start to finish during my recent attempts at getting hired, I was clocked as an older person. I had too much experience. I had too little experience. I was overqualified. I was underqualified. I was a round wrinkled peg in a square millennial hole. And mm-hmm. that experience and the way you write that is so relatable because we hear that all the time where we will put up women for jobs, that they are perfect for or overqualified for, or you're like, this is a great opportunity for you. And the answers that come back are always a kind of like dog whistle for this person's too old, or, you know, we need somebody younger. And I understand in some functions you might, you know, there are things that like women our ages are not necessarily equipped to do. Like I'm not the greatest at social media because I didn't I don't really, mm-hmm. I'm not the youngest. I don't follow it, but there's a lot of things that I can do and have expertise in, and especially the women that we work with. And I feel like it's, it really takes your confidence down, but I do yeah. think being smart about it, being creative, using your network, that's how you, using your voice, putting yourself out there in different ways. It does work and it ultimately will put you in the right place for the right job. Because if you had probably taken any of those jobs, you wouldn't have been happy. Oh, I would have, I would have been miserable. And that's the other thing too. It's, you know, going back to the workforce, especially after being home with kids, you're so great at time management. I, I mean, I was probably kind of a disaster in my 20s about time management, but now I'm like, I'm efficient. I get what I need to do done right away. I don't like walk around talking to people in the office or what, you know, you waste so much time when you're younger, just, which is fine. You're, but when you get to this age, you're just better at it, I think. And and you see things more clearly. You don't want to play office politics because that's just exhausting. So yeah, to me, it's just like, how do I not make myself worn out and tired at the end of the workday, it's just by sitting down and doing it quickly and, and doing it well and then going home, you know. All right. There's a chapter called No One Cares What I'm Wearing Now. And this going along with the demor- just the sense of totally being demoralized as, as a middle-aged woman. I, I love that you write about this because the invisibility. Uh, mm-hmm. I took customer service for granted when I was fertile. 
I remember reading a Calvin Trillin piece, and I know you've written for The New Yorker, which is like my all-time favorite. And Mm -hmm. he wrote about his wife, who was always so beautiful. And then one day she realized she was getting old when she got a ticket. Cause she couldn't talk <laughs> her because she couldn't talk her way out of it, and she came home crying because she was like, "Oh my god, I'm old now." That's really and funny. I think that happens all the time. I've had this experience where I'm sitting last week, and, and this happens all the time to me. Where like, and there's that line you say, like, "You have more insight into who you are, but you don't recognize yourself yeah. because you look in the mirror and you don't see who you actually are when you're yeah. at a certain age." And I'm sitting there last week and at a show and there's this woman on the stage and I'm like, is she my age? Is she younger than me? Is that what I look like? What's her neck look like? And I'm literally like clocking this person's age by like the skin on her arm because it's very hard to recognize how old you actually personally look and operate in the world because you don't feel any different, but you're treated so differently by the world. You're treated so differently. And it's, as you said, that each chapter heading is I'm wearing blank now. And I I structured it that way because I started to think like, oh, a woman's life can really be sort of segmented into what phase you're in, you know, as far as how you identify and what you're, what you're wearing. And um, the invisibility is a big one. And it's just yeah, I, I actually did get up, get out of a ticket two years ago, so that's a really good sign. Do you feel really good about yourself? <laughs> I feel okay. yeah, I'm feeling pretty good for many reasons. But um, yeah, it's it's a shift, and I think I said in the book, like all the you know slowly, and then all of a sudden, I started to realize that I wasn't not, not like I've ever been a big head turner, but you know, you just there's like a pheromone thing that happens when you're young, and you walk into a place, and all the people who are attracted to you will kind of look at you or vice versa. And then all of a sudden you walk in, you're like, I could like go steal money out of the cash register because nobody's even glancing at me or clocking my existence. And there's a story in there, which happened about two men helping me lift a table at a furniture store and some really fertile, gorgeous woman walks by and they both immediately lost their minds and stared at her and dropped the table on my foot. And you know, I had to be like, start screaming because they forgot I existed as a human. So that's the extreme part of feeling invisible. Uh, Hopefully that won't happen to anybody else. But yeah, it's just very, uh, again, another identity crisis. I mean, I feel like I have an identity crisis every page of this book, but it's a real big shift and it's freeing really. You know, I'm kind of on the other side of it where it's freeing to not have to worry if People are noticing if my pants are in style, if my pants are never in style, or, you know, if, if I have anything that is unattractive on me, I, like, I don't care anymore. And so the tunics part of the story is a metaphor. I do wear tunics, but it's more of a metaphor as to I'm wearing what feels comfortable now. I, you know, I'm just going through the world comfortable in my skin and, you know, feeling at ease and I'm draping myself in a tunic of age and experience and wisdom. And I probably just butchered that whole thing I just said, but yeah, but no, basically, you didn't. okay. Okay. But you're celebrating it as I'm celebrating it. page 76, where mm-hmm. you write how to throw yourself a middle age reveal party. And <laughs> this is so smart and so funny because you're right. You're like, okay, we're just, we're in, you got to just acknowledge and accept that this is just where we are now and we got to play life differently. And 
enjoy the things that come with it and celebrate it. And just, it's like, are you confused by your stage of life? Feel young and vibrant. And yet a day spa worker recently called your skin crepey. (laughs) Oh my God. That's happened to me so many times. I I should just, just call it, change my name to crepey. I hear that one a lot. Oh, it's so funny. Decide on a theme. Welcome game. Pick a dramatic way to reveal whether you're middle-aged. I mean, this is so funny. You should throw this party. This should have been your book launch party. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that would have been funny. But yeah, like you said, it, it's A, we're all fortunate to be still be alive. Age. To yeah. be in middle age. Yeah. And I say somewhere in the book that we at this this age, we all know so many people who we've lost or they've lost family members or, you know, just awful things happening. So it's a celebration to still be vibrant and alive. And, you know, uh, my, again, my take on things like this is just to find the humor in it and it's laugh. So you don't cry, but it's also, it makes it more relatable. Like we can all laugh about the same Gen X things that, you know, like, uh, the Grammys were the other night and Bonnie Raitt won and, and all of the youngs didn't know who Bonnie Raitt was. And it was this big thing on Twitter and they're all outraged. And I'm like, you know, Gen X knew all of the older music when we were growing up because we had no choice. We had like one radio station that played the same five songs. We knew all of the music from Happy Days and all the 50s music and all of that. But it's just, if I tweet something like that, I have immediately a bunch of women my age and men my age that like it and reply because, you know, we all get that joke. We all know how, you know, we have the commonality and the relatability of living through the same stuff. I was with some kids who didn't know who Madonna was. And I oh was like, gosh. is it because you don't recognize her? Because she looks so weird now. Yeah, did you see that yeah, on the Grammys? I did, I did but, see that. <laughs> but they they like kind of knew, but they didn't really know who she was, what her songs were. And I was just like, blew my mind. I know. Uh, But then again, if you think about it, like that whole hip hop thing that happened on the Grammys, which was so cool. Like those are oldies. That's like oldie music. I went to a Pilates class. Okay. This is my version. And I put myself in this position. I go to a bunch of different Pilates studios and I love them. And it's my neighborhood. I live downtown in New York city. And I'm by far the oldest person there. And this is probably when I started clocking myself in the space because I was like, I'm like really, really much older than you. And I listened to the conversations of the women that are what they're doing, what they're talking about. And this one class I went to, the woman plays fabulous music. It's like all sort of 90s hip hop and R&B. And I went to her afterwards and I was like, I love it. And she's, I mean, she's got to be in her 20s. So I went to her and I'm like, I love your music. I love your class. And she's like, I know the oldies. Uh, I was like, is Mary J. Blige the oldies? Is that what, is that what's happening? I guess so. Like if you think about, you know, where the ages of the performers were when it was our parents' music, it kind of was, right? So my husband and I went to a um, like a '90s hip hop tour a couple of years ago, and it was like young MC who had to like bend over and take a knee midway through performing, <laughs> and then um, sit and play. And they made some joke about putting on icy hot before they got on the stage, and it was it was so fun. But you know, everybody in the audience was sitting down and dancing because we're like we don't want to get up and move too much. And the guys on the stage are, you know, they're good for like a couple songs and then they're going back to take some Motrin. So 
it was fun and, and funny just to see the difference. And it was also cool because everybody was comfortable. It's like, you know, I'm having fun. I don't need to get up and dance and nothing to prove. But the nothing, yeah, nothing to prove, to prove. part yes. is great. Nothing to prove. Mm-hmm. Nothing to prove. As long as you can like relax into it and acknowledge it and just exactly. say like, you know, this is what it is and I'm happy about it. There's mm-hmm. one check and I want to talk about, I think we should talk about the, cause I'm sitting here. I have 45 lights. <laughs> There's like, you know, a huge screen between, between me and the world uh, and, you know, lucky for our zoom and lighting and all the things that we've got. But you blame Steve Jobs and I can relate to this completely because if anyone has ever caught a sight of their own neck (laughs) on an iPhone mirror, like the screen when it's off and you see your neck and you're just, it's like, you can't, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. That's why I said there should be like an emergency alert system that your phone just starts to have a siren before you look and see the photo. It's just awful. But yeah, back back when we were growing up, you were never in photos that often. Not like, you know, now everything is a photo opportunity and everybody's using their camera on their phone. And, you know, back when we were growing up, you had to, somebody had to have a camera with them. They had to have film in the camera. And then you'd pose because they didn't want to waste film. So they'd be pretty careful about taking the photo. And then you had to wait, what, two weeks for it to be developed. And yep. then you'd pick it up and get the the pack of photos. And if you didn't like the photos, you just tore them up and threw them away. Like I say something in there, I look like that David Lee Roth and like a whole bunch of photos from spring break in college. And but nobody's going to see them because I threw them away. Like in 1986, they are just a distant memory. Now that photo could be, you know, texted and copied and printed out on a t-shirt. Like there's so many ways you could hurt somebody with a bad photo, which is why so I many. like run away. Yeah. I run away when I see photos, but um, I don't know if you have this with your friends, but we have a, like a unspoken photo agreement policy. Like if there's a group photo from an event before we post it, we'll just say everybody okay with this. Like, or, you know, we know That's that. That's nice of you. It's I like nice. this. It's a part of that chapter how middle-aged women can look stunning in cell phone yeah. photos. <laughs> and there's yeah. like a, a 10 point plan on what you should do. But then you see these women and it's like, everyone's gotten all the filters and they're so filtered. They look like, I don't know, ghosts or something. They have no, there's, yeah, it's just a, like. <sighs> somebody I know had a picture up the other day and she had no nose because she was so <laughs> filtered. I'm like, just, you know, you're very pretty. Just take off of like maybe 10 of the filters. You'll still look great. Yeah, like halfway filters. But I I just want to read this because I think it's so funny. It's like another way Steve Jobs laid waste to my self-worth is via the iPhone's front-facing camera. There's nothing, nothing in the world more frightening than clicking a button on your phone and unexpectedly seeing your own funhouse face staring back at you. Sweet baby Jesus, my unfiltered, badly lit and ravaged face live on the tiny screen in my hand is probably the biggest trauma I've ever experienced. (laughs) Yes. Where you're like trying find the angle that's going to work and you're, you know, in the car and it's just, you know, what, and you're stuck. Yeah. I have a friend whose husband is an actor and I remember her saying, cause he would go away on set for like months at a time and she would only FaceTime with him. And she was just like, this is awful because the only way we get to experience each other. And she's like, this is not doing anything for our relationship. No, no. This is a real bummer. But, <laughs> 
Well, I just want to say thank you because you, by illuminating so many of these things, whether it's like feeling invisible in your own home when your kids become teenagers and that's relatable at, you know, whatever age or, you know, in the store or how hard it is to reinvent yourself in the workforce as you get older and the amount of self-confidence and courage it takes to put yourself together and get out there in the world and do something the same, do something new, do anything is really inspiring. And also it means a lot to the women who are reading this and relating to what you're saying. So having that commonality of experience is the thing that can build back your self-confidence. I think there's, when everyone's experiencing the same sort of thing, it really does Mm -hmm. make you feel better about yourself and what you're going through. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I, that's what I, I want women to not feel like they're alone in all of this. And I want them to know that this could be such a powerful time in life. And, you know, you know what your priorities are. And there's a, a kind of a cliche that once a woman gets to this age, she loses all the F's she has to give, which is true. But I would amend that and say, you lose the F's you have to give for kind of the inconsequential, more petty things, and you gain uh, Fs. I'm not trying very, you very hard curse, to not swear. You can curse, it's fine. <laughs> no one cares. You gain insight into what you do, what, what you do have to give a fuck about, like what you really care about. And that, to me, is really just a fantastic way to view the world. Like I, I don't care anymore if these moms at school don't want to be my friend. I don't care anymore if I'm going to target in pants that look terrible on me. Like all of that stuff doesn't matter as much as it used to and probably shouldn't ever have mattered. But now I'm, I care more about what can I do to make the world a better place before I'm no longer here, that sort of thing. And I know that's a lofty goal. And maybe some days I'm making the world a better place by just staying home and watching Real Housewives and not driving around yelling at people and flipping them off. Like that, maybe that's how I'm uh, bringing peace to the world that day. But yeah, just we, I think we all need to not be so hard on ourselves and just laugh and, you know, and know we're not alone. I love it. And I love this. This is one woman's coming of age, middle age story, creating where she fits in story and finally fitting into herself story is a great way to end this. Thank you so much, Wendy. This was a fun read. You really made my day yesterday reading your book. So I appreciate you being here and congratulations. You found your voice and I'm glad you you found it at 50. Thank you so much. And uh, I, I love what you do at Second Shift. So congratulations on everything. And I think it's it's such a valuable service to give women. So thank you for doing that. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women. 